You're listening to The Report Card. The Report Card Podcast is a commentary show about contemporary American politics and international affairs with Scott Jordan and Grant Stern. They grade what they're seeing in the news each week and invite newsmakers and activists and elected officials to chat and take your questions too. You're listening to The Report Card. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. And I'm your co-host, Scott Dworkin. And on tonight's show, we have two fantastic, fantastic guests who are ready to entertain and inform you. We have Christopher Hahn, the aggressive progressive. And we also have Rachel Brody, who is one of the pillars of Healthcare Awareness Month and just an awesome activist. And I'm proud to have both of them joining us on the show, Scott. Absolutely. Love both of them. Love, I, you know, we've been on Chris, Chris Hahn's show several times. Uh, we supported uh, his wife's candidacy for Congress. And then, uh, you know, we have uh, Rachel Brody, who is just a wrecking ball, um, who, who brings it to the healthcare community and really helps out, saves lives with Peter Morley every single day. So proud to have her on the show. Um, excellent, excellent episode, Grant. How are you doing this week? I am doing great. I have been working my butt off to get a full slate of shows, actually, for my other podcast, America Speaks by Occupy Democrats, next week, which is going to be really exciting. Um, we actually have three guests. Uh, Rep. Steve Cohen, uh, nice. who's a member of the Judiciary Committee. Awesome. Rep. Rondaire Jones, who's a member oh, of the boom. Judiciary Committee. Absolutely. Boom, right? And then we also have Max Rose, who is running in New York's 11th Congressional District to yeah. replace Nicole Miliotakis. And we're going to actually talk a lot more about that with Rachel uh, a little later in the show, right? Yeah, it's uh, this This is a great show, and you're, you're going to be running a, a great show. So we make, make sure you uh, set your calendar. We'll, we'll tweet out the link for uh, his other show as well so that we can promote that. Um, it's yeah, I'm looking forward to it all. You know, it's um, a, you know just a lot of things going on. I wanted to go over a couple uh, big wins, but first of all, I wanted to wish a happy birthday to one of our best listeners out there, Judy. You know who you are. Thank you so much for listening. We really truly appreciate you and everything you do uh, for the movement and for progressives everywhere. Um, so thank you and happy birthday. Yeah, and there's, totally. There's an unknown big win that you were a part of, and we won't go that far into it, but we did start a campaign to try and revamp the solar industry in this country, and they did both things that we requested, which is keep the investigation going, but at the same time, do not penalize the solar companies that already exist in this country. So great job on that, Grant. Your leadership on that really pushed Thank it through you. with the Biden administration. It was the first time that we really pushed them to do anything, and I'm glad they didn't just bend. You know, they really thought about it and figured out the best way to do it. Um, so well done, my friend. But the best thing, the number one thing, I remember when we were told a subcommittee, a subcommittee will hear the January 6th hearings. So that that will be it. Like we're gonna we're gonna investigate it through a subcommittee. And I remember how vociferously you pushed back against that, and you were like, hell no. That is not that's not going to cut it. We need this bipartisan committee. Not only did you confront McCarthy in person about why he didn't support it, but also we got this. I'm not sure if people know this, but we got this bipartisan. Sorry, this uh, the select committee in the first place. We got this because of Grant. 
He is one of the leaders on, um, on why we got that in the first place. So this hearing tomorrow, thank you, Grant, for being a leader in get, getting it done to make sure that we could actually clear the way to, to allow this to happen because they backfired, obviously, with this entire bipartisan committee. So thank you, Grant. Uh, just a badass. And you you are the wrecking ball of the week here. Oh, thanks, man. Well, hey, you know, you know, it, it, it's, it didn't surprise me that Kevin McCarthy did not want to answer why he opposed the bipartisan January 6th committee. But his response to the committee does surprise me because from every indication that we've had, Kevin McCarthy is not going to be a target of the committee. Like he didn't break any laws. He's just that committed to the cover-up. And that is surprising because I always thought that Kevin McCarthy would put Kevin McCarthy first but apparently kevin mccarthy thinks that the best way for him to advance his career is to throw himself under the bus right and ladies and gentlemen if you've ever heard the saying never sell yourself short well now you're witnessing what it looks like to sell one's own self short and it's sad right it's it is and and you know i hope you bring him to court in any capacity you can for uh, the assault he let happen that day on you, um, getting dragged out of there and him looking away right after he's talking about tyranny and how it can't happen in our own country. That was a load of BS, and it was um, really phenomenal in, in a disgusting way. Like, yeah, it was it was captivating to watch just, like, how much he ignored it, looking down like the weak, spineless coward that he is and just kind of looking away. He didn't – he couldn't look at you. He knew who you were. He knew what you were doing there. You were polite. You were a journalist who was accredited there. You were uh, let in there as a journalist, and they you, it was your opening for a question. You asked it. It was very non-confrontational, and he let police officers drag you out of the room, and there's people you interviewed there that are members of Congress that just ignored it as well, some of them smiling, and one of them is a, a Ukrainian American born in Ukraine. And so after all this stuff, I mean, like it just is sickening and I'm just so proud of, to, to be a partner with you in so many endeavors. Um, it just, just nonstop. You're always on the ball, man. And this is, it's just, it's great to be a part of history. You, you did it with impeachment, both of them. You did it with uh, pushing back on Trump. You did it. The first journalist to really s- stick his neck out there uh, in line with Maddow and joy before them. Uh, working in tandem with people like Malcolm Nance uh, and myself to expose the Russia, uh, Trump-Russia conspiracy, and then also not just this whole collusion thing he had, but the business ties that he had initially. So, I mean, we're talking about years and years of work, not to mention the the the, the wall people, the people who had to build the wall. That's coming down on him in New York. I mean, like it's all so coming together. Everything let, you said, let's man. Let's talk about a couple of these things because um, yeah, the, the the we build the wall. I think there's a short update, and I don't know if you guys have all heard it. Um, it just happened yesterday, and I've honestly been slammed. But uh, there was a mistrial in the only case that's going to trial. The main uh, figure in we build the wall pled guilty to tax crimes and money laundering conspiracy. So did Andrew Badalado, who is a very, very long-time associate of, of Steve Bannon. And, of course, Bannon was pardoned. CNN came out and said that uh, the, the New York prosecutors are still looking to indict Bannon. Um, and then this one juror basically decided that uh, he could sleep through the trial, ignore all the facts, and then just 
talk about politics. And somehow they didn't replace him on the jury. They just declared the mistrial. Uh, SDNY says they want to retry the case as soon as possible. I don't uh, think that any reasonable jury would fail to convict on the facts at hand. Uh, there's a reason why all of his other co-conspirators pled guilty or accepted a pardon impu- uh, with the imputment of guilt that a pardon brings. And, and the reason is is that, um, boy, I mean, they were laughing about the things that they've been charged with. There's even emails, right, emails from uh, Timothy Shea, who was on trial, talking about how they were going to lie to the public to raise money for We Build the Wall and saying, ah, ha, ha, we're not going to go to jail. Well, uh, it seems like... Uh, they're, you know, inching very slowly closer, but, uh, you know, the other two plea deals are already in the bag. So I I think it's just a matter of time there, but, uh, (laughs) let's talk about some reporting. You remember all that stuff that I reported about the proud boys back in 2018? Yeah. Yeah. You introduced me to Mr. Tario and, uh, everything. And I was like, Oh, this guy, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, you know, he, he did the t- horrifying stuff with the Black Lives Matter flag I- involvement there and, like, his disgusting racist uh, rants and everything he did to gaslight people and lie to people. But I was like, well, wow, that was all later. Seems small. That was all yeah, much later. That was, like, two years later. I'm talking about, you know, there's an, an infamous event in American politics called the Brooks Brothers Riot that happened in 2000. And Roger Stone was involved, and it was when a bunch of people stormed the election counting room in Miami-Dade, and got them to stop counting ballots. Well, this was like Brooks Brothers Riot 2.0, but before the election. And nobody knew who organized this event, but the Proud Boys showed up. They whipped the crowd into a frenzy. The crowd attacked a Democratic congressional office, and the local media reported it just as a spontaneous outpouring of anti-communism. Is that the Miami, when, when Speaker Pelosi was there? The Miami office? That's the, the one. And you had that video? Well, you and the, Tomas? She was or? the minority leader then. I remember. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so, uh, so man, that feels like yesterday. Horrifying. <laughs> it's uh, crazy, the, right? <laughs> guess what? Guess what? Uh, so Enrique Tario was the guy who recorded the video and then disseminated it on right-wing media. Oh, okay. Now I'm re- okay. Yeah, it all does bunch together, doesn't it? And 2020 was when that happened. I can't believe that. That was 2018. No, no, but 2020 was the the Black Lives Matter flag, and that. It, oh my god. Right. That was the end of 2020. Yeah, I know. It feels like yesterday. It does. It feels like it's all crazy. bunched together. But that it, I can't believe yeah. that he, he. Great for you. Good on you of putting that all together. Because I mean, it's just so much information. You know. I know. Well, the the thing is, is that the Republican Party chairman planned that rally i obtained an email from him planning the rally and then i called him and not only did he deny planning the rally but he actually pretended that he was just afraid of the people that were you know the trump supporters like they were out to get him right (laughs) right and he said that they planned everything on facebook using some facebook event and i you know i just dutifully jotted all this down because when he called me, this is a true story, I was manning the door at an alumni association event, alumni foundation event, at the, the Perez Art Museum in downtown Miami. Like, I was the guy checking everybody in and giving them their wristbands that night, volunteering as a, a board member. And here the chairman calls me, and I had my laptop there, and I just wrote everything down, stashed it, and I went on vacation the next day. And before I left, I found out that he had lied to me. 
and put all of it together and then wrote the whole story on the plane. Well, don't lie to Grant Stern. I've, I've, I mean, I've learned about uh, many different people who have decided to lie to you. And then people who told the truth and regretted it, uh, like Roger Stone himself. Well, that's a whole other story. But yes, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Roger did, did tell the truth because I asked him some very flattering questions and he gave me some truthful answers. And then he spent the next several weeks covering all that up. Pretty wild. Um, did he say I that think, he regret this? He'd live to. I can't remember if he said that after that or if he said that in, a, in an interview following. But he he did say something on the lines so, of like, so oh, he actually said both. Both. Yeah. That I mean, that you know, I I've never had a record uh, an on the record interview before or since like this where I interviewed him and I grilled him respectfully. You know, he would tell you quite respectful um, and insightful too. But uh, I'm the only person that ever interviewed him about the stop. The Steel Pack. That's what I interviewed him about in 2017. Seems relevant. Seems relevant. Um, and, you know, he said at the end of the interview, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to regret this. This isn't, you know, like he just walked away and said, I'm pretty yeah. sure I'm going to regret this interview. And I ran into him uh, last summer and he said he did. So, hey, you know, uh, relentlessness, uh, relentlessness is uh, what you should be striving for in journalism, for real. Like, that just is what you should be aiming for. Uh, with that said, uh, I want to invite somebody aggressive onto the stage. Hell yeah. A special guest, Chris Hahn, the aggressive progressive. Welcome to the report card. Mr. Hahn. Chris is awesome. Hold on a minute. I, I, radio a little, program. Sorry, a little, little technical problem there. How are you all doing? Thanks for having me. We're doing awesome, Chris. How are you, man? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there as, much, as best as we can, right? Hey, uh, you know, we're all working hard. And, um, you know, I, I want to ask you about the radio programs. But I, before that, I want to give you a minute to, to tell us about your amazing wife. Because, I mean, we, t we talk about our better halves all the time, right? But... Like, well, you've got a much better half. <laughs> well, look, uh, I don't know if I've told you this. I think I did. She, she, she was running for Congress. She, she dropped out yes. when New York's districts changed um, because it just became a situation where we didn't feel it was going to be competitive this year and we want to live to fight another day. But my wife has been the majority leader of the, of the Suffolk County Legislature, the deputy presiding officer of the legislature. She's legislature. She's represented. Uh, the fifth legislative district out in Suffolk County uh, since uh, 2012, uh, and she's a you know a fantastic fighter for the environment and for a variety of progressive causes. And uh, you know she would have been a great congresswoman, and I think she might be at some point, uh, just not this year. Yeah, I mean I, she spent a whole year working her tail off. I saw those tweets. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and unfortunately sometimes that's that's just how it is uh with she, politics. She spent right? uh she spent the last 12 years working her ass off to be quite honest with you. It's been uh it's been yeah. a lot. And uh but uh it was very disappointing the court threw out New York's lines uh and it just is just going to be a rough year here. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be uh pretty wild year from from what i see yes uh, in in new york state so i mean let's talk about the january 6th hearings because this is something you talk about so often 
on your radio program on the Aggressive Progressive podcast. And yeah. it, it, here it is tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for it. I've been hoping it would have happened sooner, but uh, I think the timing is good because, look, we're going to, it'll be the last thing Congress really talks about before they go on their summer recesses. And then they'll come back in the fall and they'll issue a formal report on the committee's findings and maybe some recommendations for prosecutions and other things. Uh, and maybe even some recommendations on legislation to clarify maybe the Electoral Count Act and other things that really need to change, frankly. We need to make it very clear that the vice president has a ceremonial role uh, and not a judicial role in counting the votes. I think that was kind of crazy. Uh, I, I think the Republicans should be very willing to work on that this year because the vice president is going to be a Democrat counting the votes in 2024, 2025, actually. So it's a, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, I'm very excited to see what happens. I think you had to do it the way they're doing it. You have to make this a production because the American people have a very short attention span. You've got a, and there's a lot of video here. So they hired a seasoned news veteran to take that video and put it into a format where the American people can digest it, not to mention 1,000 interviews. So how are you going to get all that information out to the American people? I think doing it this way is a good way to do it. Uh, I am not surprised that conservative media won't be covering it. Uh, but I don't think it matters. I think people are going to find it if they want to find it, and it's going to be talked about. And I think you're going to see now in this hearing how big a mistake it was for Kevin McCarthy not to appoint reasonable people to this committee. There will be no rebuttal. There'll be no cross-examination. There'll be no dissent on what is found there. They could have had people up there that were not themselves part of the January 6th problem, like, uh, you know, like Jim Jordan and others who, quite frankly, should be testifying before that committee, yet he appointed them. So I think that a uh, huge mistake on their part. I think that's going to be very evident to them this week, and I'm very excited to see what happens. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that you're, you're hitting the nail right on the head with the fact that they missed the opportunity to influence the process. Uh, but you've spent a lot of time going on Fox News as guests. They love bringing you on there to be uh, the liberal opposition. Well, they used to. <laughs> oh, what happened? Well, I mean, look, I still go on. I just don't go on with the frequency that I, go, that I was going on. Look, I used to go on Fox News in prime time three to five times a week. Uh, I haven't been on in prime time in over a year. I Is this because still, Maureen Dowd's brother complained about you? It, it might be. <laughs> it might be. But it, oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's more to do with, I think, catering to their audience. Same reason they're not covering the January 6th committee. I still go on Fox. I go on in the daytime. I go on Fox Business. I go on with Kennedy, my friend, uh, the former 80s VJ, who has a very different political point of view than me, but I don't think she's an insurrectionist. Um, I, I still go on with her. I, I go on with... Um, you know, w with some of the other shows, but I, I'm not hitting on, I haven't been on Tucker in years. Uh, I haven't been on Ingram in about a year and a half. I haven't been on Hannity about a year and a half. I haven't been on at 11 o'clock. I haven't, I haven't done any of the shows I normally do in quite some time. And I think that has a lot to do with, well, I've been very outspoken, uh, about Tucker Carlson and how his show turned into the, you know, the new room for conspiracy theorists. I haven't been shy about calling him that. I think that what he says is reprehensible. Uh, that said, if he invited me on tomorrow, I'd go on. Uh, I'm not one of those people who say, don't go. 
And I, I don't think I'm going to solve any problems by going on his show. Uh, I think that if I can make people think while I'm there, I think I've, I've done my job, make them question the reality that they're living in, pierce that bubble, bubble even for a minute or two. I think it's worth it. Uh, but I think that the minute by minutes are showing that the minute by minute ratings, that is, are showing that that audience is tuning out when aggressive progressives like myself show up. And, um, and that, you know, that was a thing for a while. Uh, Fox believed that having a guy like me come on, uh, was good because it, it created controversy. It made people have to think about what was going on and, and maybe even keep watching. So now I, I think, uh, they're seeing that their audience doesn't want to hear anything that pierces their point of view. How do how do you think we uh, have the uh, how do we think we have the average Republican uh, how do we make them care about the January sixth hearings like how do we present it to them family members friends you know that are average Republicans out there working every day hard you know how do we present it to them what do you recommend in regards to presenting it to them well first you know I've taken a lot of heat from people they call to my radio show they 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 Twitter at me they you know they tweet at me. Um, I don't believe that all Republicans are bad people. I think that a lot of them are. I think that there are a lot of insurrectionists out there, but I don't think everybody in the Republican Party is an insurrectionist. I think that we don't need to convince all of them, but if we convinced three to five percent of them that what happened on January 6th was reprehensible and that if you give power to people like Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, and Elise Stefanik, uh, you are going to lead this country down a path that will forever change it, change the fabric of our society, change our economy for the worse. Uh, and I think that there are people that can be convinced. Um, and I think that they, you know, the format we're doing tomorrow night and, and seeing this has got to pierce uh, through that bubble. People have got to talk about it. It's got to be somewhat shocking what we find. And again, they're following the legal precedent, the legal, not precedent, principle of primacy and recency. They are going to start out with this uh, glitzy, made-for-TV production tomorrow night that is going to outline their case. The last thing they're going to show the American people in, about, in a couple of weeks is what Donald Trump was doing leading up to and on January 6th and how it connects to him. And that, you know, framing it that way, I think is the right way to do it. So I think, you know, your, your question is very valid, Scott. You know, how do we get Republicans to think? Some of them, there's nothing to do. These MAGA folks who are going to go out there and march with Donald Trump, you could show them a picture of Donald Trump peeing on the American flag, and they would say you made it up. There's nothing you can do to pierce it. But that's not every Republican. I think that there are some out there who were disgusted by Trump. They may have voted for Biden. And then may have voted Republican, which is why we didn't have the landslide coattails that we should have had in, in 2020. Uh, but they are disgusted by the economy right now. But that doesn't necessarily mean they want to hand our country over uh, to insurrectionists and seditionists. So I want to react to, to what you just said there, which is that we need to convince three to five percent of Republicans and, and just say that this is one of the biggest debates that I feel like I have. In the, Repub in the Democratic Party, when you have people that come back and say, well, they supported this, they said that, 
when they were Republicans, they did this, they did that, they did the other. And, and you know, I just keep telling people, like, the, the, the name of the game is not for them to have the most perfect past. Right. To have been right all the time. The name of the game is for them to be correct today, to the, for them to be doing the right thing today. I, I, Grant, I've been working on campaigns my whole life. Elections are one in the middle. They're not one at the base. You got to get your base out. You got to keep your base out. Republicans have been much better at keeping their base out. They've played a long game, particularly on choice, and they got the result that they promised their base. Uh, Democrats don't play a long game. They play a very short game. Uh, but here's the problem, and we're starting to learn this. Uh, James Carville said it very clearly in the 90s. You get nothing without power. And if you're willing to have this squeaky clean coalition of pure liberals, pure progressives, uh, you're going to lose. You're going to lose elections, right? We don't all run. We don't all run in D plus 22 seats. My wife can't win this year in a D zero seat. It's a zero zero seat. We're not going to win. The polling says don't run. Um, and it's, 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 you know, you know, even D eights right now, D tens are in jeopardy. Because of what's going on with gas prices and other things. So we can't have this purity test in the party. It's what's brought us down. It's why Republicans continue to have power, even though there are fewer and fewer and fewer of them in this country. We have done this to ourselves. And I have spent my entire career trying to win elections. Well, you know, you know, my first campaign when I was 19 was my first federal campaign was Bill Clinton's 1992 campaign. I was a very low, low, low on the totem pole there. But I saw it. I saw it happen. I saw them have to keep certain progressives at arm's length because should they get in, should they be the, the, the focal point of the country, we weren't going to win. They had to focus that campaign on the economy. They did. They won. But Barack Obama brought in a broad coalition. He focused them on the problems at hand in the country. He focused them. He won. Biden won because he was able to focus this coalition on its hatred of Trump. We don't have Trump on the ballot in 2022. There's nothing to focus people on. And the Republicans are all focused on the economy. That is a recipe for disaster for Democrats in 2022. Now, that doesn't mean, and by the way, I don't believe all hope is lost. I don't believe that we can't win. I think we can hold the Senate. I think issues like guns and choice resonate a lot more in the Senate. I think the Republicans have nominated some wackadoos uh, particularly in Georgia and Pennsylvania, running in the Senate Very races. Very lucky there, yes. Yeah, Very I mean, I think there. I think that Dr. New Jersey is the best thing you could say about Dr. Oz. I think John Fetterman being in the hospital is probably really good for his chances of winning the Senate because John Fetterman's a little nutty. And we don't send guys that look like John Fetterman to the United States Senate. And when he gets out of that hospital, I hope he slimmed down and he put on a freaking suit. And, and he starts <laughs> campaigning like he's running for the fucking job he wants. Sorry, I don't mean to curse. I don't like people who go, right go out there. I don't like people that go out there and, and say, I am who I am. You know, take me for it. He's running for the United States Senate. Have some respect for the people you want to represent. Forget about the office. The people you want to represent. And go out there and put on a suit and go out there and make your case. And I'm not saying everybody needs to wear a suit. That's not what I'm saying at all. But he's running for the United States Senate. And, you know, you know he's, he's running around in a hoodie. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand that at all. And I like John Fetterman. I like what he stands for. I like what he believes in. But, the, you know, you've got a wacky opponent. Dr. Oz is a whack job. And they came up, you know, he doesn't even live in the state. This should be a no-brainer for the people of Pennsylvania. 
John Fetterman needs to understand that. He needs to stay in the middle, look like a senator, and win. So, Chris, let's give our, our audience a couple of minutes to call in, and then we're going to bring Rachel up onto the stage next before we wrap the show. Everybody, this is your big chance. Call in. Hit the little phone button in the bottom right-hand corner. Call in. This is your time to ask a question to Chris or make a comment on what you've been listening to. We want to hear from you. You guys make this show special. Go ahead. Mash that button. It's time to call in. Thank you, guys. Um, and, you know, since since I'm on the topic of that, Rachel, you've been waiting so patiently. Let's bring you up on to the stage as well. Rachel Brody, thank you so, 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 so much for joining us tonight on the report card. And New button is bottom right. There you go. She got it. Thank, Boom. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That was such a lovely introduction to him. So touched. So, um, you know, again, everybody, this is your chance to call in. We're going to take your calls right now, and we're re- very excited to hear what you guys have to say. And, of course, I love the comments. I mean, confu- uh, con- confuzzled tweets. If one person changes his mind, that's a start. That is the literal building block of every single thing in politics. So that is a fantastic comment, and I appreciate it. So, Rachel, uh, let's talk about uh, Rep. Miliotakis. All right. Um, you were telling wait, me about this. Start? <laughs> let's start with January 6th. Let's start there. All right. Um, so on January 6th, as we all know, the Capitol was violently attacked. And just a few hours later, 147 Republicans voted not to certify the election of Joe Biden as president. One of them was Nicole Maliotakis. Um, Almost immediately, we here in the district, uh, New York 11, Staten Island, and Southern Brooklyn started rallying outside her office, started getting together to fight back um, and hold her accountable on it. To this day, she has not apologized. She has not expressed any regret. um, And she continues to stand by the big lie and, and... into question the integrity of that election. And that's so, I mean, that district... So, so she's in New York's 11th district, right? Congressional district? Yeah. Um, that district has been flipping an awful lot. Can you, can you give us a little bit of color about New York's 11th so our listeners sure. out there who don't live in the Staten Island, Brooklyn area understand it a little bit better? Sure. So going back a little ways... Um, there was a, our, our Congress members have been quite colorful, particularly the Republican members. Um, going back to the current Staten Island Borough President, Vito Fasella, who left Congress when he was discovered to have two families. Um, a little while <laughs> later, yeah. Oh, it gets better. A little while later, uh, Staten Island and Southern Brooklyn elected Michael Grimm. Now, I don't know if anybody remembers, but Michael Grimm was the guy who threatened to throw a journalist off the uh, balcony in the Capitol Rotunda. Um, and yeah, he, got, yeah. he got reelected after that. <laughs> he got reelected after that. He, well, not only after that, he got indicted for tax evasion and got reelected after that. Yeah. Um, now, that's, that's skills. <laughs> well, Staten Island, that, that, that could actually help you in some precincts in Staten Island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so when when he ultimately had to leave office, we got a Republican named Dan Donovan, who was the district attorney who was unable to prosecute Eric Garner, or sorry, um, D- Daniel Pantaleo, who killed Eric Garner. Correct. And that, that was when I moved into the district. Um, 
Now, Dan Donovan was a spineless, nothing, empty chair of, of a Congress member. Um, one day I had a meeting with him in his office where we were talking about education and people getting degrees. And I told him I had um, media studies bachelor's and a playwriting master's. And he said, well, marry well. <laughs> and I said, okay. Jesus. And I went home and uh, joined Max Rose's 2018 team and organized the district. And we got him out of office and we elected Max Rose to Congress. He was there for two years. Unfortunately, he did not win the 2020 race. We had a big wave of Republican turnout. Um, but God bless him, he's back for another shot. So I'm, I'm excited to have you guys talking to him next week. That's going to be great. Very, very excited to talk with him next week. And I know Scott has been bothering me for weeks to find out more about Healthcare Awareness Month. Scott, what's your yes. question for Rachel about HCAM? Yes. Well, I, I mean, first of all, if you could lead into by saying how the heck you got involved with the fight in the first place, fight for health care, because I remember taking over the petitions for the original Obamacare law to Congress, and I was one, one of the only people wearing a suit that day, so I had to keep on bringing thousands and thousands of these printed petitions to every member of Congress's office, and it was sweaty, and it was hot, and it was gross, and it was worth it. But you've been working on the front lines now for forever now. Um, so what was it that made you want to get involved in the first place? And then tell us about HCAM, just in case somebody's not aware of it and they live under a bridge somewhere. You know, there are some of our listeners who may not be aware of, of, of what you and Peter and everybody is working on. Cool. So my my way of getting into the fight from healthcare, I actually had thyroid cancer in 2017. And healthcare had always been very important to me, but as a freelance writer, that was something that was just not in the plan. Um, I was very, very lucky. I was able to get my health care, get through it. And then in the spring, I met Peter. Um, and he was just on the verge of going to D.C. for one of his trips for advocating. And he said to me, you know, if you've got people in your district with health care stories, maybe you could get some health care stories. I'll try to see your Congress member, which is this Dan Donovan guy I mentioned. So oh, and by I the way, Rachel, to... Rachel, our, our audience is asking if you could speak up a little bit, please. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Is, is that better? A little bit better, but go ahead. Loud as you want to. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, beautiful. That sounds Yeah. Okay. There we go. All right. Perfect. What it is? It wasn't. There we go. Um, so Dan Donovan um, was our Congress member at the time, and I, brought, and I was able to organize a bunch of activists in the district to send Peter 40 stories or 50 stories, and Peter was able to then get a meeting and present our stories to Dan Donovan. Um, so all of that, obviously, I was so impressed with everything Peter did, and he and I have been friends ever since. Um, and as of last summer, because of COVID and because of the January 6th security precautions, it was very difficult for Peter to go to D.C. and do his in-person advocacy. So he said he had mentioned, you know, maybe he would get on an Amtrak and go visit members when they were home in August. And I said, well, you know, in, in their districts, I said, you know, Peter, I have a car. I can drive you. And it turned <laughs> into this, that, that was it. It was born. Um, it turned into this kind of sprawling vision of a healthcare roadshow that ultimately we ended up, and, and we were going to go around and highlight the work that each of these members was doing in their district. 
um, and not necessarily on the big sexy policies like, you know, Medicare for all or, you know, whatever these some of the big stuff, but the stuff that is really bread and butter that really changes people's lives that we don't hear about. So, for example, Eric Swalwell had a bill for doing um, genetic testing on kids on Medicaid so they could find out if they had rare childhood diseases. Or Mikey Shrill had a bill on telehealth expansion so that people like me and Peter don't necessarily have to trek all the way to our doctor's appointments for a five-minute consultation. Um, And as we started working on reaching out to offices and getting meetings to create uh, Zoom content with people, we created about 43, I think it was, videos of content with members in their offices and also with incredible activists and advocates. uh, Hold on, slow down, hold on, slow down. 43 (laughs) videos with members of Congress, like U.S. Senators and members of the House of Representatives, right? Yes. Um, That's a big deal. I mean, how many people saw those videos? We had our, our, ultimately we had something like 400,000 impressions. Um, I think it was close, or sorry, 400 million impressions. I think it was close to half a million video views by the time we finished. And it's probably higher by now because the, the content has stayed out there. So what are you guys planning for Healthcare Awareness Month this August? Part two. Um, So we have already started planning. We've actually had some of our first events. What we're going to do is very similarly to last year, we have panel programming. So educational panels on topics like uh, we just had one on gun violence prevention. We have some planned for social determinants of health, which is kind of anything that affects your health or your health care. Medicaid expansion. Um, There's going to be a panel on disability and disability rights. Um, and there's a couple other ones. Um, and I actually, if I could just really quickly shout out Mina, who's one of our special advisors who came to the show tonight to have a listen and be supportive. Thank you, Mina. Thank um, you for coming, Mina. Me. And who's, who's your, your co-star in the background? I hear him barking. Uh, my co- barking. <laughs> that's, that's my puppy. His name is Tony. Aww. <laughs> he is, he's in the hallway because he did start barking just. As what kind of puppy started. is it? He's a collie mix. Um, nice. And he's he's on the smaller side. I'm actually just going to see if he'll stop barking. I got a golden retriever staring at me saying, when are you going to finish this podcast and go take me for a walk? <laughs> <laughs> Literally staring at me right now as you say this. <laughs> there we go. Oh, I think it's all um, dog people on stage, so don't worry about it. She can, okay. uh, she can woof away. She can woof away. Yeah. So, but speaking of the the healthcare awareness content, the <laughs> sorry about that. It's okay. Oh, good. Um, so we're going to start doing additional videos, and we have already spoken with a number of offices, and we're going to go down to DC in July. We have eight meetings planned right now, um, and then we're going to do additional content with over Zoom with activists, with advocates. Um, both of you, my understanding is, have agreed to do spotlight videos with us and kick off videos. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I said yes to Grant. I said yes for Grant. So, yes, Grant, you're doing it, by the way. I meant to tell oh, you. He, cool. I knew he'd say I, yes. I knew he'd I'm say so yes. I'm so glad to know. <laughs> That's why I do so this normal. podcast, Breaking News. Breaking News. <laughs> And by the way, everybody, feel free to call in. We would love to hear from you guys. Questions, comments, 
questions and comments are welcome. So, yeah. Oh, thanks for inviting me. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. No, we're really looking forward to it. You guys did, um, Scott, you did a great video last year that traveled really well. Folks really, you know, resonated with them. Um, and Grant, we're really looking forward to working with you this year, too. Thank so, you. So, I mean, thank you. where can our listeners here find out more about Healthcare Awareness Month? Where can they follow you on Twitter? Um, because you guys have, like, a lot of stuff out there. But where can they, like, find out so that they can keep informed since all of the big events are coming up? Right. So the best place to stay informed is by following us on Twitter, health, at Healthcare Month. Uh, we have the same handle across all of our platforms. So that's Facebook, Instagram. Um, I think we have a TikTok. Um, but Twitter is the one that's most frequently updated and has the latest information. You can also go to our website, which is healthcareawarenessmonth.com. Um, and that'll take you to a subsection of Peter's website where we've got videos and you can look at the content we've produced in the past um, and sign up for our email list. Very cool. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you, Rachel. And, um, That's awesome. You know, before we take off, I did want to give Chris a minute to tell everybody where they can follow him on Twitter, of course, and to tell everybody about his programs and, and what stations they can hear him on, because I know that he's like syndicated to a lot of different markets. Yeah, thanks, Grant. I appreciate that. And, and I appreciate both of you coming on the show so much. And Grant, you've always been helpful with guests and topics. You're awesome. But uh, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and the syndicated radio show is on in New York. It's on in Florida. It's on in Idaho, Colorado, a uh, couple of places in California and Texas and Oregon and uh, and about four markets in Wisconsin. So uh, we're, uh, we're, we're growing, and there might be others that I don't even know about. And I'm doing a lot on News Nation, which is a new television network that is not Fox, not MSNBC, and not quite CNN. I don't know how to explain it, uh, but it's different, and it's fun, and I'm enjoying myself, and uh, been doing a lot on there. I'll be doing uh, coverage uh, Thursday night, uh, both prior to and after uh, the January 6th uh, committee hearing. Awesome. So if you are looking for some crack analysis, you can turn, tune in to News Now and catch Chris Hahn on there tomorrow night live. Correct? There you go. News Nation Now. News Nation News Now. Nation now. News there Nation Now. So, I mean, this has been a great show, and I really want to thank everybody who's listened, everybody who's commented. I mean, the comments have been so lively tonight. I want to thank, of course, Chris Hahn and Rachel Brody for joining us on the show as guests tonight. This has been a really, really, really lively discussion. Uh, you know, yeah, you guys deserve a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. We, we love you guys. And um, I, I wanted to leave with this. You know, the thing that drew me into journalism after – uh, local affairs. The thing that drew me into real journalism where I wasn't just writing about this one topic locally or real estate stuff, but like investigating national stories was that I, I, I started uh, learning about a police, the police accountability movement. Um, and this was before everything happened on Staten Island with Eric Garner. And I was shocked. I was shocked. I mean, I saw this flood of, videos of cops hurting people coming in now that people had easy access to cell phones and you know debunking the false narratives 
that these police agencies, these government agencies were putting out um, was really the mission of the day. But it provoked me to think about the bigger picture. When you saw all of this violence by our government against people and how it was being covered up and people that were doing the wrong thing were being promoted, people that reported problems were being punished. And, and I realized at a certain point that it was all symptoms of a dreadful and growing fascism running through our politics, like seeing this violence against people very specifically who are trying to report on the police. That was like where it was most concentrated. And then the following year in 2015, Donald Trump came along and I wrote a very long Huffington post article about his introduction and the gist of it in my mind was that he was such a racist that I was just going to get the popcorn and wait for the mainstream media to call him out for that and say, that is really horrible. Right? I, I thought that they were just going to tear him to shreds It was, and that was going to be it. And boy, was I wrong. Instead, the way that he was reported was that CNN set his terrible Mexicans or druggies and rapists speech to techno. And the only website that actually fairly reported all of the racism and horrible things that Donald Trump said was amazingly and shockingly and scarily Breitbart. At that moment, I knew that my worst fears were truly starting to materialize. And what we are going to witness tomorrow night in Congress, a catalog of the first internal attempt to overturn the United States government perpetrated by fascist groups working to perpetuate the rule of a fascist leader is exactly the end result you would expect from a rising tide of authoritarian right-wing extremism. I spent a lot of time reporting on that extremism and I think that finally after the hearings that commence tomorrow night and run for this month, finally, I think that enough Americans will understand the dangers of fascism, the dangers of right-wing extremism, the dangers of hate groups, no matter who they hate, and no matter how unusual they are. Because it's going to be on prime time tomorrow night, and I hope like our guest Chris Hahn said, I hope that that sways at least 3 to 5% of Republicans to understand that there can never again be a majority of people in their party who support hate. Because the end result is bad for America. So tonight we're going to do a chat after the show. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to The Report Card.
And I want to say goodbye to Scott. Scott is going to take off. He is on vacation and he is out of here. But guys, I'm inviting you up to the stage. Who wants to chat? Because I want to stick around. I want to finish up the rest of the hour. Uh, I want to hear from you guys. So please uh, go go call in right now uh, because I'm all by myself on the stage here with nobody to talk with. And Rachel, you can come back up too so uh, everybody doesn't feel so lonely. But uh, guys, yeah, come on in. Uh, please hit that call-in button. Rachel, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, thank you for inviting me to come. This has been really great. Yeah, so um, this is our first post-show chat because we just decided, like, hey, you know, uh, we're going to have such a great audience, and you guys are a fantastic audience, that we wanted to stick around and do a little bit of overtime. So uh, anybody who wants to call in right now, Please, please, please call in and we will promote you to a speaker and you can hop on the stage here. and We can all chat about what's going on. So, Rachel, I mean, let, let's delve a little bit deeper. 